This is the Hunt Quietly Podcast. I'm Matt Ranella. David Fontenot, thank you for joining me for a conversation this evening. Definitely. Good. How are you doing? Good. Um, You reached out to me a few months ago, which I appreciate, and wanted to chit-chat about hunting a little bit, and then you followed up with a list of very insightful questions that I'm I'm keen to have you ask me and get your take on as well. Uh, If we followed the email you sent most recently, this would be more like you interviewing me. (laughs) If it turns into a little of that, fine, but I'm really interested in getting your story. I know you're a fairly new hunter, which I'm excited about because I like to talk to people about their journey and especially people that are, that are just getting into hunting. So can we start out with, um, with getting a little bit of your backstory as a human being and a, and, and a hunter. Sure. Yeah. Um, so as you mentioned, my last name Fontenot is French. Um, my family was, would be what you, most people would call Cajun, uh, moved to Louisiana in like the 1700s or 1800s. Um, and never left till my dad left, uh, in like the eighties. So, um, I grew up You live in Virginia now. Yeah, I live in Virginia now. Is that where your dad lives? Your mom and dad or dad? Or... Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. They're in Virginia now too. Okay. Um, Don't grew up in Virginia. You, you don't still live with your parents, do you? No, no. I live with my wife. Yeah, we bought our own oh, house. Where... Could you imagine how ba- embarrassing that would have been for both of us? If you <laughs> I said, yeah. <laughs> it would make the dark picture you're seeing here look very, you know, very odd. It'd be I mean, the, in, in my mom's age, basement. <laughs> yeah, right. In this day and age, it's not outside the realm of possibility because you're a y- fairly young fellow and, you know. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, little, definitely. Nest a little later. <laughs> you Gen, Gen Zers. Are you a Gen Zer? Uh, technically, I'm a millennial by like uh, four years. Oh, okay. So I'm I'm right on that borderline. Yeah. Yeah. Before Gen Z is Gen X, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah, yeah I think that's baby boomers. Yeah. So yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a Gen Xer. So yeah, we're having yeah, a, yeah. we're having an intergenerational discussion here tonight. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Sorry, my dogs bark in the background. There, there's a lot of dog barking that goes on on the Hunt Quietly podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dogs and hunting go one one hand in hand sometimes. I guess. Yeah, I have I have a corgi and. And she doesn't bark during the day at all. But at night, man, does she bark. Like, you let her out and she just instantly starts barking at what I know not. Yeah. I call it quixotic barking. You know that word, quixotic? No. So, you know how some people get to have an adjective form of their name? 
like like Descartes, Rene Descartes. The sure. Carti- the Cartesian coordinate system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Keynesian economics. Yeah, yeah there you go. Like there that. you go. Yeah, yeah. So quixotic is the adjective form of Don of Coyote, like Don Coyote. Oh, okay. You know, and how you know how he jousted at windmills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, like just kind of it's like a fool's errand, like a yeah chivalrous quest but it's just not really nonsense so that's why Mm -hmm. that's why i call it quixotic barking but anyway that was a long digression carry on um yeah oh so um my family's originally from louisiana um big time hunting family down there um but i grew up in northern virginia in the suburbs of dc and my dad was kind of i think um, a classic, like kind of of his generation. I feel like people who hunted growing up, either um, you know, it became like a lifestyle for them, or in their adulthood, just completely abandoned it and and never really look back or go back. Um, he was more in the second category. Um, so I grew up with stories from when he would be in Louisiana with his, you know. Uh, great grandfather's friends who were essentially uncles to him and whatnot, hunting, um, fishing. His great grand, his great, my great, my great grandfather. His grandfather's friends were his de facto uncles. Yeah. Yeah. And my grandfather's in the Marine Corps. So when he was in Korea and Vietnam, they'd be in Louisiana and those were the guys that would take care of him. I see. Um, so, uh, grew up fishing a bit. Um, we would fish on this lake here in Virginia, um, that also happens to be a, a, a strong waterfowling lake. Um, and I just loved fishing as a kid was, I was that like the one, you know, seven year old that was waking my dad up before sunrise to go fishing. Cause that's when they said fishing was best. So I would, I would wake them up, um, oh, super early. Is that lake? still good for ducks and fish supposedly yeah i haven't been out there yet um Are you, uh, what do you mean yet this year or what do you mean yet yet in general since since i started hunting um oh since you've since you've gotten back in the game you haven't gone out there yeah yeah i'm i'm only three uh i 2018 was when i first started hunting so i'm about four years in um you, and have, have you chewed at anything yet? Uh, mostly hunt waterfowl. Um, so we shot think, some ducks. I think we're having some AV issues. Gun it, man. This happened. We're gonna keep trying this because it's like goes better when I can see you. But I might have to. We might have to turn off the video. Sure. Like this podcast is so homeboy, man. It's like, <laughs> have you ever seen that movie? Um, I've told this story a few times now, but like they made this analogy a few times. You've ever seen that movie, um, Wayne's World? Yeah. So, you know, remember how it starts out all whole? <laughs> yeah. Really great, and then it gets yeah. ultra produced and they hate it. Yeah. So I keep telling myself I'm in the homeboy. <laughs> that's it's still real authentic and cool, you know? Yeah, so, that's like, funny. Boys cutting out and everything. I just think it adds a little. Uh, little bit of like rawness yeah it's some character yeah for sure telling myself and at this point trying to get my listeners to uh buy anyway but anyway go go ahead go ahead carry on oh oh 
I was asking if you shot anything yet, but we don't, well, I'll ask you that later. Carry on. Sure. Um, so yeah, I grew up fishing on this lake um, and have this distinct memory of, you know, seeing the duck blinds and kind of piecing together the stories of my family hunting growing up and all these stories I heard about their dogs and sitting in oil barrows that they, they'd sunk into rice fields to duck hunt and all kinds of stuff that just um, always really struck me. But, you know, just like it was never in the cards. My dad and grandpa just didn't hunt anymore and they weren't really interested in it. Um, they didn't even like keeping the fish we caught, you know, we threw everything back cause they didn't want to clean anything. Um, I like always, to, they just like to worry the fish. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he, they, they like to make the fish worried yeah. and tired, but yeah. they want to kill them. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I always found that kind of bizarre. I'm a catch and keep kind of guy, but. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Anything I catch in the slot, I like to keep, but, um, and back then even, I remember begging my dad to let me keep a fish to cook, but he just didn't want to do it. Um, so, so growing up hunting and fishing was always this like distant memory almost for me. It was like a memory I'd never even lived. Um, and then in 2004, so I would have been like 13 years old. There was an article in Field and Stream. Um, if you look it up, it's called uh, Cajun Passover is the, the title. There's some more words on the title, but Cajun Passover is like the center of the title. Um, and it was about a guy named Elton McCauley, who was my dad's like hunting mentor growing up um, and my great grandfather's best friend. Um, and I always look back on that as kind of the time that like hunting became cemented, like in my kind of memory. Um, like when I saw that it, it like spoke to like the legitimacy almost of like my heritage and hunting um, that I had no real contact with, but I was like, I saw it on paper and I saw this guy's picture in a magazine and stories of him hunting fox squirrels in Louisiana. And I was like, wow, like this is real. Like it's not just like a story that was exaggerated or whatever. Like he was a real hunter and these were like real people. Who wrote um, the story? I don't remember the name of the guy. Um, but, it, but what was the gist of the story? Like this guy's a legit hunter? It was about the like Louisiana squirrel hunting culture more than anything. Uh -huh. And just kind of like the family environment, um, the generations that were there. And, you know, Elton was considered the patriarch of the family. And they kind of talk about how he, you know, was the head of everything, but it wasn't really about hunting as much anymore where he was, you know, he was older. So he was there drinking highball and beer and just having a good time. Um, so um, I more than anything, I remember the pictures from that story because um, my you dad still always have it. No, it's still online. I think my dad has a copy of the magazine in our archives, but you can find it online if you Google uh, Field and Stream Cajun Passover. It's still up there. Oh, OK. All right. um, yeah. So wait, but when it's written Elton. Yeah, it's Elton, E-L-T-O-N, Elton, pronounced Elton. Okay, so yeah, Elton John, but pronounced Elton. Yeah. Okay, that's a better yeah. pronunciation, man. That's like yeah. 
That's a badass sound. Yeah, it's, a, it's like, yeah, I've always thought that was a cool pronunciation. I'd probably name a dog Elton one day if that'd be a good name for a gun dog. Yeah. I wonder if I could trick out my name somehow. It'd be pretty <laughs> Like maybe if I went with Matt, Matthew, I could find a way. Like, But Matt would be pretty hard. To, to, yeah. Matthew. You'd have to go the, the French route, the M-A-T-T-I-T-T-H-I-U, I think it would be. Yeah, it's Matt, in French, it's Matthew. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, I'm sorry to dilate on this, but... Sure. They were writing the... Somebody wrote this article about him as he's an old man. Mm-hmm. And it's, the article is him telling stories. No, it's, it's, it's more from the perspective of the author being there and kind of experiencing like this cage and halting hunting culture. Um, like the author went down there and did some like travel journalism and hung out with your. Family. Oh, he, yeah. He was at the family hunting camp for, mm. I don't know how long. And oh, um, what a piece of history for you, for you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. I love oh, it. You should have that frame. I really should. Yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah, that's yeah. Oh, I'd love to have something like that. That's awesome. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Anyway. Um, Carry on. So yeah, so that was like I, from that point on, I always look back and I think like I was gonna hunt one day. Like it was gonna happen. Like I was so obsessed with that article and just the idea and the stories. Um, but I mean, it would be a long time from there till I till I actually hunted. Um, so I, you know, how old were you then? 13 12 or 13 i'm 20 29 now okay so you yeah and you went on your first hunt when you were 25 ish yeah okay yeah um so you know life goes on from there once i get my driver's license i start to get back into the outdoors a bit i start doing a bit of hiking and backpacking and fishing on the potomac river um and wherever i could wade out um and I would just like pack a backpack and, and, you know, hike along the Potomac river in retrospect, I was definitely trespassing on a bunch of people's backyards that just backed up to the river. Oh, but I, just, I, 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 I had no idea. That's smallmouth bass, right? Some smallmouth bass. Yeah. I caught, um, I would actually catch a lot of catfish, um, and some smallmouth some large mouth, um, in these, like what looked like trout waters. I mean, you know, knee deep, uh, quick moving waters that I would, I would just, I mean, with the old, like six and a half foot ugly stick that my dad had in the basement back in the day when we used to go to the, the, my grandpa's lake house, I just picked that up, picked a random lure out of the box, got my dad to tie it on for me. Cause I didn't know how to tie any fishing knots. And I would just take it out and just go. And that was just like, that was it yeah oh yeah Yeah, catch like 12 inch catfish and just throw them off oh those are good eating that's um sure yeah we call them fiddlers yeah exactly i keep a lot i keep a lot of fiddlers yeah and i i remember bumping um like uh hen turkeys back there not not, like never knowing like the wild turkeys even existed um scared the crap out of me like like bump them coming around a the corner. They all fly into a tree, um, loud as hell. Um, but you know, so like once I started to develop some independence, like the outdoors, like definitely starts like drawing me back in. So I get to college, 
you know, I would say, like, let me interject one thing here at this point, sure, or give you my assessment. Um, for what it's worth, I'd say that given how little stimulus you got to attract you to the haunt and angling lifestyle, how little stimulus it took to get you going says that you're a natural born hunter fisherman. <laughs> like there's kids um that I know that grow up in hardcore hunting families, kind of like your dad. And yeah. Like, nope. Not for me. And then there's other kids that whose parents have no interest. And the kid ends up having it. Yeah, like, I'm going up to the ca- to our cabin in Alaska, my family cabin in Alaska, um, in a few weeks, and one of my friends is going up there, and he's not, he don't give a shit about hunting and fishing, but his freaking daughter, she's 14 years old, and she's gone ice fishing with us a few times with me and some of my friends. She's shot a deer last year, and she cannot wait, you know. Yeah, like it's it's like an act. There are activities that just naturally captivate some people. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm sorry. A lot of lot of interjecting. No, 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 it's good. Interject less, man. No, no, no. You're right when you get your narrative flow. (laughs) It's all right. Um. So yeah, so I go off to college start backpacking, doing the whole thing, you know, do a trip to the Grand Canyon, a couple other things, um, but really start to like, you know, it, it starts to become like my thing. Um, but hunting and fishing are still like, seem like a mile off. Um, and then about three years in the school, I was in a fraternity um, and I've learned that one of the guys in my class. You're a frat um, boy? Yeah. <laughs> Those two seem a little mutually exclusive, being a frat boy and being a hunter, but I'm going to give you a pass on that. <laughs> I'm, I'm well-rounded. <laughs> At least you're not all thuggy looking and like the kind of guy like that they're, that they're going to call moose and oh, like God. Have you do keg stands and stuff like that. No, like, no. Yeah. Moose, 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 moose. You know, <laughs> There's never any misconceptions about my being in a fraternity making me particularly manly in any <laughs> regards. I was just in one. <laughs> no, you see, you, yeah, yeah you, like to look at you, I guess you're the kind of guy I could hike like a son of a bitch, but you're not the guy I would want to have if, like, I was changing a tire and the jack broke and the car fell on me. No, you're you, not gonna lift the car off me, but it seems like you No. I'd be really quick to call 911, but <laughs> um okay. So um so yeah, I'm in the fraternity and um I find out that a couple guys hunt and um and I also discover for the first time outdoor TV. Um we're living in the in the house and we had like a decent cable package, you know, come home two in the morning or whatever eating nachos, you know, after a night out and this guy would just like flip on the outdoor channel. He'd be like, Oh, you got to watch this. And I see hunting for the first time on TV, never seen hunting before on TV in my life. 
And I mean, or I'm or just anywhere like, else for that matter. Or yeah, or anywhere else except for that field and stream article. Um, and you know, at first I'm like, I'm enthralled, and it, it, you know, I'm just so curious, so interested. Um, it some of it is I'm like, this doesn't, you know, at all match what I thought hunting was. Other aspects, I'm like, look, this kind of matches up with some of these stories. Um, but I'm like, the bug is like back big time. Um, so I end up asking this guy, you know, hey, like, I don't, I'm so interested in hunting, but I don't even, I don't even know where to begin. Like I own, I do own a shotgun at the time because we used to go shoot skeet a lot. And I bought it off a guy at school for like a couple hundred bucks. Um, so we could go shoot skeet from time to time. So I was like, you know, I have a shotgun, um, you know, I'm familiar with the outdoors, backpacking, getting ticks, like whatever. Like, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm just like, don't know how to put the pieces together. And, um, he looked at me like, like I was like possessed by like some kind of demon. Like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, what do you want me to do? Um, and I remember just feeling like so dumb. I was like, oh, I guess like you just like can't get into hunting this way. Like I don't have like, I'm not in the club. Um, I even went oh, so wait, far. So he was perplexed because it, in his mind, it was outrageous of you to ask him to take you. Yeah. Or to like what to do, how to start, like anything. Like it was just like, he looked at me like, what do you want me to do? I don't understand. Um, like, did you, were you, couldn't you be more direct? Like, I want you to let me go with and hunt with you. I was so direct to the point where I uh, secured permission in uh, like a property in near our school. And I was like, there's this place nearby we could go like, like we can go hike around, maybe like look and see if there's anything like possible. And you could like show me what to set up or we can go and set up. And like, I don't care if I don't shoot. Like I just like trying to figure it out. Um, but he was just not interested. Um, Wait, tell me about t- like banging on this door. What, how, how did you navigate that? It was this, uh, uh, he was a, an alumni of the fraternity um and he had this property yeah, he's got all that brotherhood shit going on <laughs> yeah exactly hit him with the, like the secret handshake <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah the secret handshake um and i remember i told him he was like i you know i'm really interested in hunting and like i'm gonna try to get somebody to take me would you mind if they took me on your property i remember him even him looking at me being like you're not a hunter but okay um so I was, but yeah i had no luck um what did you think might be out there um i knew there were deer around had seen deer driving through his property before um so i figured we'd maybe do some deer hunting or like something like i, I didn't even have in my mind like any specific kind of hunting i was like there's woods there has to be animals and I have a gun. So we'll figure it out. Right. Like that's how this works. Completely like unaware of uh, public land hunting regulations, like anything of that sort. I mean, I'm just like totally over my head. Um, but yeah, so I ended up you asking. You had the spot. Yeah. I had the spot. Um, your, your, um, your roommate wouldn't take you yeah yeah it was just not didn't seem interested or I, I don't know how to, a hunter. yeah man 
Um, I can't even imagine that happening to me. No time in my life has somebody come to me and said, hey, would you take me hunting and show me how to do it? I've got a spot we can go. <laughs> I mean, that's the fucking hard part. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was weird. I, I don't know how to describe the reaction well, other than to say like, it was like a homeless person was asking another homeless person for money. And like, they were just giving me like, you this, like, it would like this baffled look on their face. <laughs> like, like, I don't have any money. Like, that's how it felt. I felt, and I felt, I remember feeling so stupid. Um, so you must not have had a very good relationship with this guy. Uh, not the best. No, not like not major buddies by any means. Yeah. If you would have been major buddies, there would have been some follow-up questioning and shit. Like, yeah, think, for sure. What, what, what do you mean? Giving me that look? And, <laughs> like, yeah, so anyway, but, um, so that goes by, um, and you know, I, the bug is still there and I get, you know, a couple of years out of college, finally got some money. Um, and I don't know how I came up, up, upon it, but I ended up watching an episode. How'd you get of, the money? Uh, I was working for a defense contractor at the time. I do corporate finance. Um, but then I was like early in my career, just doing like kind of like administrative business stuff. Oh, corporate finance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like you manage the finances of corporations. Yeah. Kind of like a financial advisor would like forward looking type mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, I do fin- what's called financial planning and analysis. So I have a background in statistics and economics. Oh. Um, and I kind of just do all the forward looking and then comparison of what we thought was going to happen to what happened oh. um, for a large corporation. I, I too, is that's my career on a day-to-day basis is statistics and forecasting and things like yeah. that. Yeah. do it as, a, as an ecologist. Um, so... Um, yeah, we should talk about a little bit. There's gonna be a lot of digressions, okay, man. I've had a long day, <laughs> it's okay. And I, and I want to, I want, I, I have to, um, keep us on task here a little bit, but there's gonna be some direct digressions. I gotta, sure, early, and I just don't feel like being scripted right now. So I gotta ask, you think I've got this. I know you do you do corporations, but I've got this burgeoning nonprofit where um, I it's not really officially a nonprofit. It's just I started a website and a podcast, mm-hmm. and I've spent a, about a thousand dollars getting going, mm-hmm. and I'm selling merchandise at cost, and mm-hmm. I have no plan um, to make money. It'd be antithetical antithetical to the whole business of what I'm doing to try to accept money. So how am I going to keep going? <laughs> <laughs> well, you shouldn't have to put too much more into no, money joking. into it. I'm I think joking. <laughs> I'm joking. I have no, yeah, I don't, I, I don't mind. Like I think of this as my, I think of this is my pro bono. Well, there's a couple things going on here. Mainly what I think of what I'm doing here with this stupid thing is trying to maintain my sanity. Because I've been freaking, I've been trying to say what I think about hunting for a long time. And I was getting, I was getting censored 
like I had publications, three different publications that are going to like take my article mm-hmm. and, then, and then later on like decline because it was going to piss off one of their companies that helps fund them or piss off another hunting media outlet. So I started this because like, I started this just so I could have my own say what I think. If yeah. you wanted to listen, great. If not, at least I freaking have some people to talk to. Like, you're listening, you know? Yeah. So that's all I need is just one person. <laughs> listen once in a while just to maintain some sanity because I think this thing is going to shit. This thing I love is going to shit. But, um, all right. So anyway, you're in fi- in corporate finance. That's freaking fascinating, man. I like I when I say it's fascinating, I mean what you deal with on a day to day basis. I have I can't even begin to imagine. But then I think at the, it's also. But then I think there's some elements that would be, are very going to be would be extremely familiar to me. Oh yeah, like it, like fitting a linear regression model or something like that. Yeah, I don't do. We don't. You don't end up doing advanced statistics, but it's essentially well, that's a, why I said a, a linear regression. <laughs> <laughs> you end up just doing. It's all about like establishing relationships between bit variables that drive the business and figuring out like what knobs you can turn, how much they give you, and what knobs turn against you, and how much they hurt you. Okay. Which is just like any kind of, you know, any time you're trying to isolate any kind of analysis, that's, you know, the gist of what you're doing. It's just uh, you do it in the accounting world instead of doing it in the statistical world. Yeah. The nice thing about your work, I would imagine, that is different from what I have to grapple with is you don't have to do causal inference. Mm-mm. You have to just generate predictions. Yeah. Yeah. The causal stuff is um, not as big of a deal. I mean, we deal with consumers, obviously. So we're at the behest of our consumer um, who is not like a corporate or like business entity. It's an average Joe. So we're always trying to figure out what's going on with them and their budget and their spending habits, what they're interested in. So there's some causal kind of uh, investigation that goes on there, but you could never, you know, without investing a crazy amount of money, sample all of them or survey all of them. So you kind of just take what you can get and deal with it and figure out, just stumble around till you figure out what works and then pour more money into that. Yeah. Okay. So you got some money and then. So I got, yeah, got some money. Um, and, you know, I'm still kind of thinking about the hunting world in, in this like unapproachable manner from my, experience and then also what i saw on hunting tv at the time when i had that lease um you know guys shooting elk from i remember watching like when you had thir- what? Uh, the lease like the uh, the apartment i lived in or the house oh. when we had the cable the cable package we had had oh. outdoor tv oh. um and i had i didn't and i had never had it before you had to have like some kind of like extra bonus plus cable package to get the outdoor channel around there, I guess. Well, you frat boys need that because when you come home from the bar at two in the morning and you got to eat your greasy food, <laughs> you got to have something to watch. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I remember feeling like between my experience with this guy who I asked about hunting and what I saw on TV, I remember feeling hunting was like, feel, felt very unapproachable. It seemed like everything I saw was either like, 
guys shooting elk from like a mile off or on these big ranches over a feeder or these like exclusive properties. Like I don't have access to any of that. Yeah, um, I would call in my, <laughs> yeah. So I'm still, I'm still working through how to talk about things publicly. Or, or I guess it's publicly because anybody that wants to listen to this can listen to it. So I'm say, yeah, it's public. I wouldn't even, well, you, all those things you just described, I wouldn't even call hunting. Yeah. Shooting an animal from a mile away. I mean, you got to make some kind of arbitrary cutoff at which you're, at which point you're not going to call it hunting anymore. Like we could all, would you agree with this, David? Let's say I was sitting in my armchair at home and I'm watching the tube, but then I have an, an auxiliary monitor next to my TV that's monitoring um, uh, a, a wildlife feeder in the woods. Mm-hmm. And if a deer comes into that feeder, I can push a button, which will launch a projectile into it and kill it. Would you call that hunting? Man, it's a good question. I, Oh, like, I thought I didn't think there, you'd even balk at that. I thought you'd say for sure no. I would, in my opinion, in my from my perspective, I would say no. Um, I this would is fucking hope so. How, like, I I even struggle. <laughs> so my my parents moved to a, a more rural property, retire on, and there's these deer that walk. They have six acres or something. There's deer that walk through this very predictable route on their property all the time. And my dad always tells me, you could get a bow and like hunt right there. I was like, I don't know if I, I haven't hunted deer before. I've never shot a deer. Definitely want to get there eventually, but um, just not there yet. And um, I've told him like, you know, I don't think that's how I would ever like would want to get my first deer. That feels like a very ungratifying way to do that. Which to me says. You really need to say that pushing that button from your armchair is not hunting. It's not hunting. (laughs) But I don't, I don't know if I feel like hunting in the backyard like that is really hunting to me at least either. You know what I mean? That's what I was trying to get. I was making a longer point that I got to finish up here. Go for it. Yeah. So if I was in my mind and this is arbitrary and everybody has their freaking opinion. And if I shoot something with my, if I shoot the deer at, 300 yards with my rifle Mm -hmm. i still consider that hunting if i am sitting in the armchair and i push the button it's not hunting if it's an animal at a thousand yards that can barely hear the round go off Mm -hmm. plus the added uh risk unwarranted risk of crippling the animal Mm -hmm. i'm i'm still characterizing that as not hunting is it not hunting or is it negligently irresponsible hunting yeah that's a here's another question okay if you're sitting in the living room my dad say my dad's living room and the deer walks through the yard 300 yards away and you pull your rifle from right there you sing in your chair and you shoot the deer from the from your living room chair is that hunting I would call that a good decision. (laughs) (laughs) But it's, it speaks to, it's a very, there's like a, there's a continuum here of like how you define hunting. Yeah. yeah. It's 
so complicated, so complicated. Yeah, and yeah. In, in, in like another way, yeah, I don't know. It's just so complicated, man. Yeah. But, uh, there's some cut, but you got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. And like a thousand yard shot is fucking bullshit. And putting it on TV is extra, extra bullshit. Like, what are you teaching people with that? Yeah, I'm. I remember it so clearly because the kid misses big time, and I say kid like it was a young kid, like younger than sixteen, if I remember correctly. What are you teaching your kid when you set him up to do that, and he misses, and the deer like or the elk doesn't even like register that's been shot at. Really, it moves down this hillside a little bit, but it's not running like it just heard a loud bang from a hundred yards away. Like it's running like, oh, I think a rock just fell near me or something. And he locks and like racks a new one in and then hits it. Um, I just remember thinking like, yeah, yeah, he kills the the elk. Um, Like from what I remember, like pretty cleanly, Um, like it it goes down within like a 50 yard radius of where he shot it after that. Okay. Still, Um, I wish you, I would, I wish you would have missed the second shot. Yeah. Or yeah, or crippled it and watched it run over the ridge so that it could teach him a life lesson. I mean, this is such like man, there's so we are you and I, this is a this is such a fascinating kind of conversation to me. Like somebody that's just getting into it versus somebody that's been doing it their whole lives, you know, there's mm-hmm. just like a lot of ground to cut that we can yeah, interesting things to think through, but man, I've been at this so long that I feel ownership over it. And like when I see people betray- portraying me that way, because I'm the same thing as what they say they are, like a hunter. Mm-hmm. How is that fair to me, man? How yeah. is that fair to me that you're teaching your 16 year old kid? To shoot at a deer? Uh, 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 what is that? That's over a half mile away. Yeah. It's crazy. Man, I wish that guy would come to my house so I could kick his ass. <laughs> I'm, t- I'm 26 Herzog Road, Mile City, Montana. 59301. You don't need the zip code to get to somebody's house. But come over here if you think differently so I can kick your ass. I'll probably give your kid a spanking too, just for even like being dumb enough to follow along with that. All right. So anyway, you're watching some hunting, some quote hunting unquote. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm out of school at this point, got a little money, um, you know, trying to like, finally trying to figure out like, all right, what am I going to do with myself besides go out to bars with my friends? Because, you know, Come 24, 25, uh, I was starting to round that corner. I was ready to, to move on to something 24, else. 25? Yeah. Man, I was crying into that shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's when my drinking muscle was at its peak. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess I might have worn that muscle out a little early. Okay. Yeah, you're not even drinking. You're drinking water. I'm drinking yeah. whiskey. You're drinking water. I had a glass of wine earlier, but yeah, I'm drinking water now. Um, 
So, uh, yes. Um, I don't know how I came up upon it at the time, but I, um, I think Mediator had just gotten on Netflix or something. Um, and I saw it and I was just like, all right, like, you know, I'll check this out. Like, who knows? Like, what I'll find. Oh, and that I'm, shit you were just describing was grabbing you. Meat eaters totally going to grab you. So I watched, I remember very clearly an episode um, in, uh, they were in New Mexico hunting turkeys in um, one of the national forests, I believe, that Aldo Leopold, uh, Leopold worked in. Um, and I had taken a class on him in college. So it like really struck me as like, like, oh, wow. Like I was interested in this guy, like just from an environmental ethics perspective. Um, I didn't know you and there are people who, I didn't know you could take a whole class on. Well, they talked, we talked about other, other like environmental issues as well, but it was like an, an environmental thought and practice class and sound County Almanac was one of like the core books we we've kind of used to inform our conversations about like various environmental issues in the world at that time um and and whatever else um but i remember seeing this episode and kind of being struck that like there's somebody who's doing this who you know in the episode i'm pretty sure they like stumble around for a couple days they don't find anything and then they end up shooting like a jake or two like towards the end of the hunt it's like a very like non-trophy-esque hunt. It's very, the, the kill almost seemed very inconsequential to the journey mm-hmm. of, uh, of the, the whole trip. Um, and then I remember that striking me like really strongly. It's like, that's something I could do. Like I go backpacking. I've seen turkey tracks in national forests. I have a shotgun. I can bring it with me. And, you know, I could, I could do that. Um, so f- that was kind of like the impetus for me to finally like go figure out hunting. Um, and from there, I mean, it was just a litany of YouTube videos, how to articles. I would do a hunter skills weekend that the Virginia department of wildlife resources hosted and learned like firearm safety, got my hunting, um, learned how to uh, use a diaphragm call for Turkey um, the whole nine. And I was like, okay, I think like most people, um, don't learn how to do that until well into their turkey hunting journey. Yeah. Yeah. I remember it was a four hour drive there and I got with, spent the weekend, this like public, like 4-H camp or whatever, um, do the thing, get out of the class. I can just barely like barely get a sound out. And I mean, I don't think that I took was that turkey good right there. You call in a turkey with that, I guarantee. <laughs> but I ended up. I don't think I took that turkey call out of my mouth the whole ride home. It was like four hour drive home. I'm just sitting there <laughs> yelping, doing the whole thing. I was like, "Damn, like I'm going to learn how to to uh, call a turkey." Um, and I just ended up taking it from there. Um, I mean, YouTube and um, just the internet in general was definitely like where I learned everything. Um, our first hunt ever, we, we did find a guide in North Carolina to take us out kind of, um, uh, not far from the outer banks to go duck hunting. So we figured, you know, who's, who's we? Oh, my brother and I, my brother, my brother has, has, 
and the little man in your pocket? <laughs> no, my brother. Yeah, he um he does not have the hunting bug quite like I do, uh, but he enjoys it and he kind of enjoys just tagging along with me. Um, so he's the only person I hunt with. He'll he comes with me like maybe like 10% of hunts. Um, but we our first hunt ever, we went together um with a guy in North Carolina did a duck hunt and who drove a ferry um and he had every other week off so during duck season he would do like a guided trip like once a week or something um was a ferry boat captain yeah yeah um so and that's that was our first hunt so we shot like four or five ducks a piece with him and we're land or private land Pub, uh, it was public water, so it was um, a blind on the water in North Carolina, so a riparian blind. Um, that the he said the woman who owned the land, his her husband died or something, and she was trying to sell the land, um, but he couldn't afford it. But she let him hunt there for free um, until somebody would buy the land. Um, uh, so we hunted there um, on the, um, on the sound, um, on the, like inside of the outer banks, um, shot like some divers, a teal, um, nothing particularly special. Um, but like was, that was kind of like our, what's a particularly special duck? Well, if you follow duck hunting Instagram, you'd think only mallards mattered. Oh, really? Oh my God. Yeah. It's all about the green piles of mallard heads is like everything you see on, on duck hunting social media. It's crazy. Oh my God. Um, like the only reason I like mallards a little better than most ducks is because they're bigger. I yeah. Mean, like dire, I don't like divers because they, they taste like shit. Oh, I love divers. I think divers taste great. We hunt on the Chesapeake Bay here, and I shoot surf scoters and bluebills. And I think scoters are delicious. They're definitely, they have a strong flavor. I mean, they're definitely what most people would call gamey. But my, my, I mean, I got my whole family eating them. Um, Like fish, you like fish ducks. You like to eat fish ducks. Well, yeah, you skin them and you trim the fat off, and they're not fishy at all. Okay. They t- it all right. t- it tastes closer to like uh, venison almost than like oh. any other duck. Bluebills, I have found a much milder, like much softer flavor, more like a buffalo head, um, not nearly <laughs> as fishy. I remember you eating a buffalo head. <laughs> really? Oh man, every duck we shoot gets I, I, skinned or plucked. Never, we I, eat the whole thing. I've oh God bless you, man. That's awesome. I am I've yeah, I've eaten some borrows golden eye. Oh yeah, I've golden eye I've heard are not good. Oh well I didn't think they were that bad. Really? Well, I haven't tried one, so people say all kinds of divers are bad. Yeah, that's just always been my thing, and I've eaten so the probably the only ones I've ever eaten borrows golden eye. Well, and there's just not a lot of divers anywhere I've lived. So yeah. I shoot, you know, I'm not a big waterfall guy. Although, although I bet I've got more dental work done than your average waterfall hunter. 
<laughs> all these douchebags that you follow on Instagram or whatever with their green heads in their mouths and all that shit. Mm-hmm. I bet I've I've sacrificed more of my dental architecture to eating ducks than any of them. <laughs> that right there. Yeah. I got, Oof. Missing, I got a missing tooth. And I have three crowns all from biting down on steel shot. Oh, ow. Yeah. Waterfall. Yeah. Yeah. I actually haven't shot uh, like a good eaten puddle duck yet. You haven't um, shot a mallard yet? Mm-mm, no. I got real close this year a couple times. Um, this was, I, I call this year like <laughs> my like breakout year in hunting. Every hunt I went on, I at least saw a bird. Um, didn't always get a shot. Didn't always have a good shot, but I saw a bird every hunt. So that for me was like a huge victory. Like I was always like in the right area, just maybe not like set up in the right spot or like too many, uh, ducks in the, in the little wood duck hole or whatever it might be too many decoys, you know, Yeah. I, what I would call like refining errors, but, but yeah, yeah we have yeah. way yeah. more luck with divers. You're, you're piecing it together still. Hey, exactly. hey, five second break. I'm just going to go grab my bottle of, man, I got up so early today and I'm not an early riser. So it's going to take a couple drinks to keep me going here. So I'm going to go grab my bottle of Windsor. Sure. Oh, shit. That's the closest thing you'll probably ever get to a product endorsement. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually not true. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying, I'm struggling mightily to uh get a list together of companies that fly under the radar mm-hmm. and hype the shit out of hunting. I would be super interested in that. Oh, that's that's a good that's a that's interesting because the one of the questions I'm gonna ask you is like based on what you're telling me, I gotta I'm I'm keen to ask you about what you feel about my agenda because I could see where it's like incompatible with your journey a little bit, but I don't think it is. So one second. Okay. Here's one. Here's one for you. Hit me. And uh, by this, by the time this podcast airs, that one will probably be out. But um, T T and K T and K hunting gear in South Dakota. Okay. Um, veteran owned and um, and they may he may the yeah the young guy that runs it it's got some folks I think some of his employees are veterans as well and they may Gators, Spino Harness. Um, some other odds and ends, I can't remember. But there, here's cool. the thing with that stuff. I know there's other, com- other companies out there. I just got to do the work. Yeah. Like, and right now, this is, it's July 6th. There, there's been several people that reached out to me that seemed like they were going to help me. And then they flaked. 
or seemingly so. Yeah. But, but there's two guys that seem to have some legitimate interest in what I'm trying to do. And they've been trying to help me do a little bit of research, but I need, if this thing's going to fly, I'm going to need some freaking help, like some committed, committed help. So, um, I'm still very much hoping that someone steps up and does the, the groundwork to, to find, to find these companies. I know there's, and it's like, I don't want to make the good that the, the perfect, the enemy of the good, like, like just companies that are a little less um, hunting hero focused in their advertising. What do you think about a company like a Filson that if you go to like Filson's Instagram page, I was thinking about this today because I'd heard, I think like two episodes ago or so you mentioned TNK and how you were kind of interested in exploring this place, space. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to think of like, you know, because when I think of, companies that embody what they believe in you know i always think of like a patagonia or something you know where they've really their brand is aligned with this like you know environmental ethic too um and it's like of great value like they have a lot of goodwill in their brand just because of that mm-hmm. so i was trying to think you know who embodies like a similar kind of ethic i remember seeing like filson always struck me as a different kind of hunting brand in the their gear doesn't seem particularly like always the most practical gear that's out there, especially for the price, you know, they do like the wax coated stuff. And um, so some of their gear is like definitely not meant for hunting. I mean, it's more of like a modern apparel company uh, at, at first glance, but if you scroll through their Instagram feed, I mean, I did a, you know, I went through, I can't, I don't even know how many posts today, but I didn't see, like I saw a couple fish, but that was it. Um, and I don't see them doing any like hard R3. I know they sponsor some groups like BHA, like BHA yeah. and others, but is that kind of like a good, like a brand like that? Is that good enough in your eyes, at least to start? Good enough is the best. I guess good enough is going to be at the end of the day, good enough is going to be as best as we can do. Yeah. So if that's the best we could do, then. Yeah, they. But if we could find a, a comparable company or two that wasn't sponsor, wasn't sponsoring nonprofits that are ig- ignoring the biggest problems in hunting today, that'd be better. Like mm-hmm. I, David, is, the thing is, I'm. I'm concerned about what I'm concerned about. It's so freaking simple, man. I'm concerned about publicly accessible hunting. Yeah. And I'm concerned about the existing hunting community. Those are the two things that I care about. So the reason I'm talking about this right now is because I can see where, and I've had a couple other guests on where they're newer hunters and they're like, Oh, you're kind of, aren't you, aren't you adversarial to me because I'm a new hunter? No. As soon as somebody starts hunting, they're part of the existing hunting community. Yeah. I have an opinion 
about the best way to protect them. Mm -hmm. So your hunt, your hunting means just as much to me as anybody else's because you're already in, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, what I'm trying to do is prevent these folks from these, the hunting TV, hunting celebrities, the nonprofits from inspiring other people to go into it that otherwise wouldn't because the law of diminishing returns has long ago kicked in. Yeah. Uh, so. And that ties in really closely to my experience. I feel like, cause the most discouraging thing I've had in hunting aside from just general imposter syndrome is the inability to find spots and getting pushed out of thing places I thought were spots due to like other hunters already being there. I mean, I've never put my boat on a Creek and not had another hunter drive by trying to get on the same Creek or just go further up like a half mile up. Everyone's always respectful, but like my hunting experience has never been isolated. Like I've never been on a hunt where I was truly alone. Um, Flesh. Yeah. Flesh this out a little bit, both in terms what this is a new phrase for me, imposter syndrome. And uh, the putting the boat on the creek and what you're trying to accomplish there. Sure. So imposter syndrome. We skipped a bunch by getting to where we are now. No, I think we're about there. I want uh, my goal was just to get through my story and just establish this. Like you know, hunting media definitely played a role in getting me into hunting. Um, I thought it'd be very clever to ask you, like, do you think I shouldn't be hunting? But like, I think we've gotten pretty far past that. Oh, just with some of the that, back and forth. By now, you know, but like, just based on what I just said, the answer is no. You're yeah. part of the hunting community. Definitely, yeah. It doesn't um, it doesn't matter. What, I mean, like, I'm here to protect you. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think I a lot of like, people that gives me like this like gatekeeper authority type freaking. I wish I, I wouldn't so. have said. I wish I wouldn't have said that. I, here's a better way of saying: it. I'm not here to protect you. I'm concerned about your hunting. Mm-hmm. You value my hunting experience I just as much, you. even though I've been here only three years. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's important too, because in hearing what you've been saying, and I've listened to a lot of the podcasts where people re- like offered rebuttals or whatever to your opinion. And I feel like a lot of people would have said, would the, would the things they say make it seem like they think you would tell me, no, I don't think you should be hunting well, because of the way I got yeah, into there's it. There's two things going on there. One of them is I haven't done a good job articulating my points, so I'm mis- I've been misread. The other thing is that people willfully misread me. Yeah, so. for sure. But I thought it would be like, it was a good, like, I would be, it was something I knew I've like, I felt like I would hear from you, but I think was like a good kind of like entry point to a conversation too, especially like, and just getting the context from my perspective on the whole issue. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but as a I'm new glad, hunter crowding his. So why did you think that that's where I would come down in, in advance of me even say, saying it? Because have you listened to some of my episodes or. Oh yeah. I've listened to all, all everything you've put out so far, both. Blood Origin episodes, the Mediator one, read the articles. I'm very, I'm, I like to dive a little deep into things in case you can't tell. I've listened to the Kafaru rebuttals, the um, the Elk Fitness. Uh, I forgot his name. Um, his oh, rebuttal. I just found out that he said something about me saying he said something about me saying something about him, but I didn't. I haven't read it. 
I, and I can't listen to the Campari thing. It, it would just, I can't, I'm not, I don't have enough confidence to listen to people shit talking. I listen, I wouldn't I either. Should talk, I, I should talk down, but I can't. <laughs> the the Go Hunt rebuttal, I listened to that one too. Oh, I didn't um, know they had one. It was short. It was like a 30 minute episode, and I wouldn't necessarily call it. Theirs was honestly the most balanced of all of them, I felt. They, there were some opinions where they were like, they kind of like toe the line. Like, I could see where he's coming from. Um, they obviously they believe in, you know, social media, it's their product is kind of in that realm and they believe in the, in the, the positives that can come from bringing together people through that. But, um, theirs was honestly the most balanced of all the ones I listened to, but yeah. Uh, and I read some articles and the whole nine, I'm, you know, I went, uh, I just, I got interested in the topic and I dove in. I mean, it's just, it's just kind of in my nature. Yeah. Well, yeah. What, yeah. I'm tempted to ask you where you, well, it'll probably come out organically in the course of the next hour or whatever. How you come down to all that. Hey man, here's one thing after reading all that, as a hmm. new hunter, like if you're new into something, if you're like fairly new into something, it seems like you wouldn't gravitate towards the most controversial voice in that whole thing <laughs> but you agreed to have a like endorse the most control controversial person in the whole thing in a sense by having like a public discussion with them so yeah which yeah. which which when you reached out to me when you reached out to me you said you were interested in having a discussion, but you're just a guy and you don't, so you don't have just a dude. You don't have any credibility. So I want to ask you, what is credibility in this kind of, in this, in with this? Is, and, uh, it, so, is it that fucking, like, is it the Eastman's that like hunt private land and can't do it without a camera? Or Cam Haynes that hunts private land, Joe Rogan that blows up and publicizes the shit out of hunting constantly, even though all he does is boutique hunting on private ranches, thereby yeah. crowding out everybody else and leading to the privatization of what? Like, I'd say somebody like, and I don't often advocate for myself, even on this podcast, like, whatever you want to think about me. I don't think I'm a dick. Fine. I'm just putting my ideas out there. If you believe them, fine. I would love your help. If you don't, there's plenty of other stuff to listen to. But like my mind doesn't isn't isn't making make be going public and and opening yourself up to a bunch of vitriol. Isn't that doesn't that take some credibility? Doesn't being a brand new hunter and coming on with it like a controversial on a controversial podcast? Doesn't that? I, I don't know. I just think of that as credibility, man. Yeah. I think of that as, as as balls more than credibility. I think of it. <laughs> no, well, here's the thing: if, if we're talking well, credibility, to me is who cares about the future of hunting? Mm-hmm. See, I view credibility more from like a I think like a resume standpoint. And I when I said I didn't feel credible, I meant it more in terms of like I have a very narrow and short lived hunting experience. So I only and you know, I've only hunted in, in, well, two states technically, but Virginia, 
701 state. Um, I've never hunted with anybody other than my brother. Um, I don't have any friends who hunt. Um, I have a couple of my wife's friends from high school hunt. Um, and I've talked to them about hunting some, and I talked to guys at the boat ramp and things like that, but I have a very, um, I would say, I feel like my perspective is limited in that respect, which is yeah. what I, what okay. I view as credibility. Okay. I would say that that's, that's, that's good. I think that that's, that's valid. Like I have hunters that I look up to that have a knack for it and have been doing it just as long or longer than me. And I think of them as, as having a lot of credibility in part because of that. Yeah. But I don't believe in, in killing animals for somebody else's entertainment. Mm -hmm. So couldn't it be that that erodes if hunting was the way I wish it was, if hunting culture was the way I wish it was, that would erode your credibility. I don't believe in using dead animals to sell products. That would erode one's credibility. So you, be- mind, that, you think believing that would erode it? Or you think no, the act it. of doing Okay. So in my mind, you have more credibility than the biggest names in hunting today. I think it will... I mean, I think that's a bit of a stretch. They're not, they're they're talking about what they're interested in is making money. Mm -hmm. That's what they're interested in. Um, Maybe, maybe some, maybe they're somewhat care about the future of hunting, but they certainly don't care about your experience. Like there's just no, what you can't make the case that they care about david fontenot's experience because if they do then why are they trying to bring more and in people into the places he's trying to hunt i think on an individual level they would genuinely care about someone's experience but it's more that the, the consequences of their actions on a macro level have a negative impact on some people's experiences and they don't necessarily acknowledge or reconcile that and yeah, that's, that's, that's the, the conundrum that, that that comes as a result of this whole. And I was, um, this is actually in kind of in the. I think I put it as one of my points. Um, it becomes like what I view as like an economic imbalance in the hunting industry, where like outdoors companies, hunting companies, like everybody from REI to Eastman's to Sitka, whoever you know, their products capitalize on the ability for people to have what I call quote unquote natural experiences, which are experiences typically on public land, far away from civilization, whatever, and the remnants of like what the world used to look like that we preserve today. But they don't control or contribute to that supply necessarily. So there's this imbalance where they're creating demand for the outdoors by giving people a lens into maybe what they could be doing via their products, their marketing, their TV shows, or whatever it might be. But that land is still disappearing and they're increasing the value of that land, you know, and it's not just hunting. I mean, some of my favorite backpacking places in Virginia 
are now like there's a literally a line to get up the mountain um, because it gets so backed up on the weekends. And they built like parking lots that used to just be like grass fields, the farmers leased to uh, the state or whatever for you to park. And if it was muddy, you weren't getting out. Um, Is so, that due to promotion in part or not? Oh, a large part is due to social media. I remember um, I, I should have dug up these old articles, but there were some great old articles that um, where people examined location tagging and in Instagram of like national monuments, geysers, uh, overlooks, like all kinds of like um, hiking destinations and how the pot when those um, gained more views, how they would become more trafficked over time and the negative yeah. effects it had on some of those places. I mean, just think about Yellowstone. Yellowstone sees record number of, vis- of visitors almost every year and wildlife conflicts are a rampant problem. If you go to Yellowstone in summer, you're going to be sitting in traffic to try to go see the bison or whatever it is. I even, I drove through Yellowstone one winter visiting a friend in, uh, in Bozeman. And even there we got stuck in traffic and only like a quarter of the park was open. Um, Cause like of a bison herd and people just sitting and watching and whatnot, you know, people out looking for wolves. Um, so it's, endemic to the outdoor industry as far as i can tell um and you know it's it's because there's you know people are profiting on demand for the outdoors but it's the outdoors is a somewhat socialized concept in the u.s and that it's it all occurs in public government land yeah that's great those are great comments um that, that was that's yeah that's very interesting take on all that it really is there's a couple things that are distinct about hunting. Mm-hmm. I'd say um, so one of them is that a hike being crowded doesn't diminish the experience as much as a hunt being crowded. I don't know. Have you ever been on a, a crowded hike? You get to the top and it's still, you're looking out over the shit. And you you got to reach it. over some woman to even be able to see it. And you're like, got some overweight person's butt in your face going up the hill because they're too out of shape to do it. And you're backed up 50 people deep trying to like get through a rock scramble. I mean, it's bad enough that I've been on hikes and I've turned around and gone home. Cause it was oh, just like, wow, not I'm telling like there are places in Virginia, especially with the spread of the Northern Virginia suburbs, like starting to reach closer and closer to the Shenandoah, whatnot. You know, it's an hour and a half drive for people, two hours. And there's a, you know, uh, uh, some local food place nearby. They want to go check out whatever. It all gets packed. It's, and it all gets ruined. Like diners I used to go to, after a hike they would have like it would just be me and like the local deer hunters are now packed with people in like lululemon shorts and designer sunglasses and they're really just there a lot of them to take a picture some people are there because they really want to get outside and they just it was a popular hike that came up on whatever website they use here in virginia it's hiking upward use where you like all the hikes are mapped and guys have gone out with GPS trackers and gotten the coordinates for the whole hike. And they write a little 
summary of like, you know, turn left here to go to the waterfall, blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that bad. Like I've never gone to hunt somewhere and had to turn around, but I have turned around going hiking before. Okay. All right. Yeah. Man, who part of what one thing that there one thing that that kind of shit robs you of is the sense of discovery, man. Exactly. I would never look at my phone to decide where to hunt or where to hike mm. or anything else for that. Well, that's not true. Where to dine. I would certainly look for like where to go if I was in yeah. a new town. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it just, it just makes it so, it seems to go against the whole reason of going on a hike, like the discovery. And, mm-hmm. and, and it's, it's not even the, like, I don't even blame the websites or the park service for, for putting that stuff out there. I mean, I think it really comes down to social media. I mean, people, I remember I posted a picture. I was at the top of this mountain and there was a thermal inversion in the valley. So all the clouds were real low and the sun was rising above the clouds, like right where I was. This is Virginia. I mean, like you're talking like 1500 feet of elevation, like mm-hmm. nothing crazy. And it was beautiful. I remember I had ta- tagged the location, not thinking anything of it. And then random people started commenting, asking me, how long does it take to get to the top of that mountain? Like, is the parking okay? Like, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like people were looking these locations up on Instagram to see if it was worth going. And, okay, so how how much, how many fewer people, what percentage-wise, would be doing, would be crowding your hiking areas if it was forbidden to then like do the whole hey look at me aren't i oh if you couldn't share it on social media so i'm not talking about finding out about it and that through social media and then going there i'm telling you how Mm -hmm. much less going there would occur by virtue of them not not um being allowed I'm not trying to pass any laws. I'm just saying. Right. Then show other people that they've gone there. Yeah. Like if they check your phone at the door, like if you're going into a a skiff or something, how many people would still go? Um, That's a good question. I think a lot of people would still go to to start with. But I think. No, you're fine. I think a lot. I think the whole group of people who are there the first time would still go the first time, but I think your recurring visits would decline um, sharply. And I think a lot of people wouldn't go as often as they do with social media Um, because if they can't post pictures of it, I think it kind of almost to some people diminishes the value of it because they cannot um, posting pictures on social media is intertwined with people's attachment of their identity to the things they're doing. Yeah. That's where I'm at with hunting It's like, 
let's get rid of the social media part of it and see who's left. Let's see, see who's still willing to deal with the freaking cold. Let's see who's willing to deal with the disappointment. Let's deal with dealing who's still willing to deal with the exhaustion. Yeah. Let's see who's, who's still willing to go out there and beat feet and and freaking do what it takes once that's not a what part of the incentive structure mm-hmm. that's that's where i'm at is like anybody that's that's still into it once that's stripped away god bless them man you know yeah that's my solution if they're yeah in, you know it's a yeah. partial partial solution at best and not one that i'm at all confident I'm going to get people to sign on to, but that seems like a positive step. Let's reserve precious hunting opportunity for people that enjoy it enough to do it without that, without yeah. the, the global, the global edification from other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The only conundrum I see with that, and I relate this back to the hiking too, is that there is some ceiling, I think, to which people are willing to go on social media motivation. Um, What I found was that when I went to popular hikes with nice views, I saw tons of people and it got more and more crowded every year. But I, when I went to hikes with no views, no scenic overlooks, um, maybe just, you know, along like a crummy ridge covered in trees, beautiful hike by my standards, but no panoramas or anything like that. Those were never crowded, mm. um, which I find interesting in line with, um, with, with hunting in social media is, you know, is it really social media really motivating people to go grind it out on public lands or is hunting unique in that there's an easy button and that easy button is leasing outfitters, guided hunts, all that stuff. And people see this prize that they want in terms of uh, an identity attachment or even just a goal, big bull elk, big mule deer, whatever it might be but they don't want to do that work. So then they, but they pay for it instead because yeah, that's exactly what happens. And, and, and I'd have zero problems with that at all whatsoever. Wouldn't give two shits if it wasn't hitting that button. It has a major impact on everybody else that's trying to do it the, the real way. Right. Because the people you're finding crowded, like crowding public lands probably aren't those. They're not those people. Like they're probably more the grinders, the people you would actually want hunting. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they're not, I consider somebody that's willing to bang on a stranger's door to be a grinder. Yeah. But that's getting taken away from them. Mm -hmm. You know, plus like the leasers, the higher, the outfitter, I don't, I'm, I'm all for outfitting on public land, whatever. That's awesome. You want to hunt? Mm-hmm. If you want to outfit on a place that I can hunt to, God bless you. Go for it. But um, I live in a state where there's all kinds of infrastructure in place 
to to incentivize landowners to let people on Mm -hmm. like finance financial uh uh incentives finance like they get they get paid pretty good money to let people on and it's financed through out-of-state hunting fees and and, and like if they enroll in these programs, everybody gets to hunt there, you know? Mm-hmm. And it just, and when you hit the easy button, it's not just like you opted out of doing it the right way or the hard way or whatever. It's like the, the, the easy button is the fuck you button to everybody else. Do you, do these outfitters pay more than the government will, or is it a pretty even financial equation? The real answer is I don't know. I haven't looked into it enough, but in a lot of cases, I suspect yes, that the mm-hmm. outfitter is a better. Well, they're definitely a better deal in terms of inconvenience mm-hmm. than landowner, because now you got one guy you call when something goes wrong, mm-hmm. when somebody does something stupid. Uh, so. And I I suspect the money is a little bit better too. Yeah, I mean it's rampant. Like there's way more. I I don't know what the breakdown is, but I'll tell you this: I don't know what the breakdown is between government programs and leasing, but I suspect it's incredibly lopsided. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell I, one thing I do know for sure is that our fish and wildlife management agency here in Montana. And this is, I'm not trying to make this a Montana centric program. I'm fighting against that, but it's in my trying to fight against doing that, but it's where all my experiences are from in the last one. Some of that, but FWP has way more money that they could be spending on, on, on public, like to secure public access. But they have nowhere to spend it because it's all leased up. Do you think they could outbid? There's a cap that's set by the government. Mm. $25,000. And that's set by the feds or the, the state? state? The state. Why don't they just lift the cap? They just did. Mm. They just did. But it, it gets, then it just gets political. Yeah. Our, that's what I was trying to get to. Yeah. yeah. So our, yeah. Our our state politicians, many of them don't give a shit about the sportsmen. Mm-hmm. Like our governor, he don't give a shit about the garden variety uh, sportsmen, and he's packed his cabinet with people that don't give a shit about the public land sportsmen or the publicly accessible land sportsmen. He he thinks of they think they all think of hunting as a is a business opportunity. Mm-hmm. That's the lens at which they look at it. Mm-hmm. So it, they 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 are taking steps to try to 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 help outfitters, help large landowners monetize it more. Mm-hmm. So they're no they're of no help. Yeah, like the lifting going back to like you're lifting the cap argument. That's why. With my little thing, my little project here, I don't even, I'm not, I, I give up on government, man. I, I'm engaged in a last ditch effort to save 
some semblance of quality hunting, publicly accessible hunting. Yeah. Where I come down on it, my, I look around and what could be done. Is there any chance that if we could improve it somehow, save it somehow, what do you do? And what I come down on is the only way is to appeal to the hunting community to look out for each other. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Like it's a fool's errand, but that's my, at least you know what I'm trying to do. For sure. Yeah. 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 No, I get, I definitely get the, uh, the mantra there. Do you think there's other potential avenues that could help at least in that journey? Like say, you know, from an economic perspective, right? People are making money on hunting, gear, guns, decoys, the whole nine, backpacks, whatever you call it. Sorry, my light keeps turning off here and going dark. Um, for a long, long time, backpack tax to in, in, include more funding in the acquisition of public lands, so similar to Pittman-Robertson, um, but expand the scope. So it's not just shooters that are paying for it, but everyone who actually buys gear to go in the indoors. Do you think an influx of cash in that manner properly administered could tip the economic scales against private leases and potentially bring more land into the public fold? Absolutely. But this is not, I mean, Shouldn't the people that have the money figure that out? It's got, it's got to start with somebody. I mean, like, they should be thinking about it. Like, this, the, 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 the people that are the outward face of the hunting community, the ones that are profiting off of it, I would hope that they would be thinking about, like, what, how they could leverage the money they're making off of us to open up some access. Yeah. So like, I think some people are. I'm just like a one, I'm one dude, you know? So it's like, they, they, I suspect that they could, they could afford to spend a hell of a lot more. A lot of these people buy up land for themselves. Like mm-hmm. Yule Tree, that dude owns tons of property for himself. Um, The guy that owns Onyx, he owns tons of property for himself. And one of the ranches, at least, he allows some public hunting. Is he's in the bar block management program, but I don't know about the rest of it. A lot of mm-hmm. these guys just buy up. They take our our money, and they here's a little they care. They take our money that we give them for clothes and guns and shit, and they go buy a big branch and have it all to themselves. So, like, yeah, do I think money could help? Money could help a pie a whole bunch, but. I don't see, but that's not, I'm not, I'm powerless there. I'm powerless in every respect other than just making sounds come out of my mouth that I hope resonate with some people. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, you know, another thing would help a bunch that seems more doable to me at this point is not working with the hunting industry because I, I just don't, I'm one guy. And they don't seem to give a shit about what I think. They more or less just try to censor me. But would be the hunting community 
spending their money wisely. Yeah. Like, like seeking out companies that I, I think a lack of promotion is another solution to all this. Mm-hmm. No less promotion, less of what you saw that brought you into hunting. Yeah. Glad you're here. You're in my sphere of concern. Mm-hmm. And part of that means trying to make it so that there's not more content to bring in still more people. Because right. once you got interested in it and you got in your canoe and you went down this creek, and I don't know what you were doing yet because we haven't got there, but what you saw, it, 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 it didn't satisfy your urge. Right? Like you were, so, um, want, you were left wanting because there were other people there. Yeah. Yeah. In some experiences. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So, yeah, let's, let's talk about the damn canoe ride a little bit more. I'm getting all worked up. <laughs> um, yeah. The old John boat. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, what's your, you, you got a John? It's not a canoe. It's a John boat. Yeah. Yeah. We got a John boat. Yeah. What, like, how long is it? 17 feet. Oh shit! Yeah, it's a decent size. She's got a sixty on her, so she runs. Oh! <laughs> but we, I hunt out on the a jet or a prop. Uh, prop, prop. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. You, you said you're putting this thing in cricks. Oh, I mean, I get out on some bigger rivers and drive up to you know, maybe like two like creeks that are like two feet of water, tidal creek sometimes off the bay. It depends where I'm at because I hunt salt and fresh water here. But okay. I need something big enough to get me through some of that bay water from time to time if the weather gets a little squirrely. But then also... Duck boat. Yes, my duck boat, yeah. You said yeah. that with some pride. <laughs> <laughs> that was the way you said that. It was kind of like you had a little gravel to your voice that was like there's... <laughs> I love that thing, man. I'll, when I uh, when I'm driving places to go scout new spots or whatever, and I stop at a gas station without fail, some dude will come up to me and just like tap me on the shoulder, and be like, "Man, that's a cool boat, dude." Oh, <laughs> what is it? It's a tracker. Oh, okay. Uh, with a side console. Okay. Did you buy it? So. Yeah, yeah, I bought a new two years ago. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, they make a nice boat. I don't think I've ever even gone. I don't don't think I've ever boarded a tractor, but I've admired them from afar. Yeah, they're nice. I mean, it's definitely, you know, it's only a seven-degree dead rise, so any kind of chop, you're feeling it, and, you know, it goes right up that that, uh, tailbone real quick. But but she gets you from A to B. Oh, I bet. I freaking bet. I have two boats. I have three boats. I've got a canoe, and I've got a, a Grumman sport boat. You know what that is? Oh, yeah, yeah. Those are cool. Did you? Yeah. know what that is? Oh, man. I spend way too much time on Craigslist. Oh. Just browsing. And I've got a six-horse mud motor for that one. Nice. And you know what a mud motor is? Yeah, yeah. And then I've got a... Long tail? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And i got an 18-foot boat with a with a with a mud motor on it that I used to fish on the Yellowstone. The little one I can't tell you 
when I use that. <laughs> that goes against uh, <laughs> everything that's I'm trying right. to accomplish for this podcast, but <laughs> for myself. That's all right. Right. <laughs> Uh, okay so uh yeah you 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 alluded to some disappointing experiences in the track Mm, yeah turkey hunting more than anything but definitely in duck hunting some though i found duck hunters just because you're out on the water you can't not see them right like it's impossible to set up in front of somebody without them seeing you or whatever so i've had you, you you roll up on the edge of the on the on the bank of the river and set out some decoys. Is that what you're doing? Yeah, or like in like a little tributary, wherever wherever I'm not locked out from our um, from our lovely riparian blind loss in Virginia, which is a whole other topic. But in well, you short, can't, you can't set up a blind on the bank. Um, no, so in Virginia, they you can buy the either a landowner or non-landowner landowner has first choice to riparian uh right state so the landowner has rights to the water out to like about eight feet deep i think it is oh off their God, property bullshit man to to build a dock or to have first rights to build a blind if they oh, don't oh okay i thought you were just gonna say you can't go there no yeah yeah but if they if um if they don't build a blind, somebody else can license that spot to build a blind there. But if there is a licensed blind in riparian water, whether occupied or unoccupied, you cannot hunt within 500 yards. Oh of that my blind. God, that is bullshit. So quick. I, that is so horrible. Yeah. I cannot that tell is, you. That is horrible. It, it, if you read some of the articles I put in that email, there's multiple examples that the writers go through where they know for a fact, and there's some in my local area, where people have built blinds for the sole purpose of, of keeping people from hunting there, yeah, even though they, they do. don't hunt. Um, and there are these sad things. It's literally like, it looks like a port john frame that never got finished. And like one person could sit in there, but they pay whatever it is, like 45 bucks a year for the license per blind. And they keep people from hunting there year round. Oh my god! Um, my hate, my hate a meter. My hate a meter is in, at an eleven right now, as you tell but, me. But but if they built a dock there instead, I can hunt within hundred and fifty yards of that. So the hypocrisy of the law is just like, I mean, blatantly self evident. It's just it's meant to keep let people take public rights or private rights to public hunting land oh and my water. God. Yeah. Like, do they enforce it? Oh, yeah. It's a trespassing charge if you if you break it. That is so... I don't even... I can't even come up with an adjective for what that but is. But you can fish in front of the blind, no problem. And if I can fish someone's dock, even though they might fish off of it, but it's only hunting rights that they get exclusive access to. Uh, the, what guy if it was... Occupied, I would understand. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I would still Uh, hate unoccupied. That's crazy. Yeah. So I can't believe there's anywhere you can 
hunt. I would have thought everybody would yeah. stick a couple sticks in the bank and call it their freaking blind. It has to be um, usable. So there is some like, so I literally have all the areas I hunt. I have the numbers of the DWR agents. And like this year, a lot of those blinds are looking unusable. And last season, I never saw anybody hunt there. So you bet I'm sending them pictures come first day of season. And I'm going to ask them, is that usable? Yay or nay. And if it doesn't, and there's some that aren't even licensed, but nobody hunts there because they see the blind and they just assume. But before every season, I check all of them. So I know where I can, where I can hunt. I'm also like a big rule follower. So. Here's how much I care about your hunting. I'm going to have to edit that part out. <laughs> yeah. Get to do it. But if uh, I don't think anyone out, else is going to check. Damn it. David, that is. I'm so sorry you have to deal with that. But at the same time, I'm so. I'm so inspired by your willingness to the groundwork yeah I'm yeah a, i'm a rule follower i don't go breaking breaking game laws although i well a couple episodes i think i talked about this i want to play hypotheticals if it was don't hunt <laughs> or poach you'd poach your ass off yeah <laughs> yeah i remember that that was funny um carry on um, oh man, I can't even remember where we were going. Oh yeah, turkey hunting's been the big problem for me. Okay. Um, you to can the still point, find a place to put your decoys and shoot a couple. Yeah, fish yeah, fish yeah. Fish. I can find a place, and there's they manage some of the public areas here on a quota system, but it's, there's so many blinds that people don't show up, and they almost always there's people who don't show up who have a quota. You can get in. Um, and you can get like either a floating blind stake or a blind, depending on the place. Um, so there's always opportunity to be had. Wait, wait, this is this is on state land or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, state land okay. where they they issue like a quota. You pay five bucks for a lottery ticket to get a blind. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a non-exclusive right. So you get assigned a different number for every hunt that you win. And then that's your order of selection to pick a blind in that area, typically. And then there's always a, a, a backup group. So there's always, you know, people will come for the no-shows and there's always tons of them. So then you can just like take one of their spots, go to one of these floating blind stakes and hunt. Yeah, so there's, this there's is very demonstrative of why Ducks Unlimited is, is so concerned that we need more participation yeah because we, there's just no one to fill those spots you know yeah yeah and from what <laughs> i've read I don't, you know i'm joking oh they're they go empty all the time oh they do for sure. oh, dang, oh you're yeah under, you're undermining my whole premise duck hunting in in virginia is from what i've read is is truly like on more of a decline because we're not only dealing with these public land issues but also declining numbers of mallards um, and most puddle ducks in the uh, Atlantic flyway 
Um, uh, yeah, well, then if, if that's what you're talking about, there's less places to hunt and fewer ducks. Shouldn't the number of hunters, shouldn't it go down? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, from, <laughs> from, I just um, had a guy on from Arkansas, and he was talking about oh God, yeah. crazy stuff that go, like, the, the, the idea. Boat races. Talking, yeah. People swapping out the cowling on their boat. Yeah. Like, because. You you are not allowed to camp out there in these places. They hunt mm-hmm. out there. You gotta go out and get your good spot, which I guess is like a clearing in the flooded timber. Mm-hmm. Um, so dudes, and you're only allowed. There's a horsepower maximum that's allowed. So <laughs> a calling with a different number. <laughs> and they're getting fist fights with each other when they're launching their boats. And yeah, they, and they shoot at ducks that are coming into somebody else's spot to mm-hmm. layer them. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah, I've heard Arkansas as hell okay. on that front from everything I've read. But yeah, Virginia is definitely, I mean, it's not a great duck hunting state by any means. But from what I can tell, it has like the best opportunity for people who don't have access to private land. Um I think oh, in our late and you're out there like shooting like I I take back everything I was saying about I would way rather I would way rather eat a diver. I was a I'd rather eat a diving diver duck that was hanging out um like at a slaughter facility eating cattle offal. <laughs> than a mallard that I had to pay for. So good on you, man. Good yeah, on you. that's like, probably why those divers taste so good, honestly. <laughs> this is such a grind to get them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that's freaking sweet. So carry yeah. on, man. I keep interrupting you, but you're inspiring me so much. Um, but yeah, but turkey hunting has been hell. I actually have, I still haven't shot a turkey. But turkey hunting on public land, Virginia, has been absolute hell. And um, I actually didn't even turkey hunt this year. I have a, a dog. My wife and I got a lab about a year ago, so I've been training her. Oh, dude, you don't take a dog turkey hunting? No, for duck hunting. <laughs> <laughs> you do. You can take a dog turkey hunting. Oh, in in the I fall. I was joking. I was joking. Oh, you can do okay because I. You can I, in Virginia. I have a corgi, and she's been on many in on many turkey kills. Really I, interesting. I do all my I do all my hunting with a corgi, and yeah. Um, but anyway, turkey hunting. You're hunting like state land again. Mostly, I've done some national forest land. Um, some of that can be hard to get to. Um, and national forest in Virginia is not well managed. Um, it hasn't been logged in a long time in a lot of cases. So you have old hardwood growth. It's just very unproductive, but you can find turkeys for sure in national forest, but 96% of our Turkey uh, harvest in the last two years has been on private land. Um, and the number of birds I've been on where I've been like one of four guys working that same bird is just like, you know, to me on the same turkey. Oh my, at least I remember um, the first bird my brother and I ever called in. um, I saw its head through a bush and 
I think it, it made us like, we probably weren't the best setup or whatever. And it kind of like bumped around and like, like, you know, far out of view and then ended up getting shot maybe 70 yards to my left by another guy. And when I walked out, I walked past three guys set up with decoys behind me somewhere, ostensibly aiming towards where I was calling originally, um, hunting that same turkey. Um, in that national forests, that sounds uh, absolutely miserable. Yeah, yeah. We just—I mean, once I hear a shot like that in like a wildlife management area, I just leave because that's it. For, I mean, that's usually it for the day, unless you get lucky and you know one of them stumbles in, into your lap. Um, you know, you're not catching that turkey. And man, those birds get work so much. The ones that don't get shot are so smart. You're never going to get them anyways. I chased this two years ago. I chased this one gobbler all season. It was the same one. I roosted him in the same, like, probably like 500 yard radius every time in this little swamp, um, like, uh, area between two, like higher ridges. Um, and that bird would gobble three times and three times only. And then <laughs> you would never find find it until you got up and started bouncing around. And then you would shock gobble at maybe 100 yards behind where you were set up. So this bird got behind me every time. And I was the same thing. I would circle that whole area that bird was trying to figure out a different angle or whatever. I would find a hunter on every angle. Every single, the only reason I was able to get my angle is because I was the only one willing to do like the two and a half mile hike to that spot, like dead in the middle of the WMA. Everyone else was taking the shortcuts okay. off the roads. Okay. The only place I've hunted turkeys and not been bothered by other people is in the national forest out in the Shenandoah, but you have to find like uh, a honey hole. I mean, there are still guys out there for sure but the birds are way spread out. Oh, that's your, that's your honey hole. Like that's where you're going to kill your first bird. You just got to put in the time, get yep. way the hell back in there and find that freaking one gobbler. That's oh yeah, way back in the stink somewhere. Yeah. Like how far can you get from a road in there? Um, the best places, maybe 10 miles. What? Are you serious? You can get to places that are the only way you can get there is to walk ten miles. I bet. Yeah. And there's there's some there's admittedly very few, but there's some turkeys back there. Sometimes a lot of those places I backpack to, I haven't seen any sign. Right. Right. But Um, that's too too dense usually. Densely forested. Okay. But that's where you need to focus your efforts because yeah. you, yeah, man, as somebody that's been at it just a handful, like that's not nearly as intelligent as you, but has been doing it a long time. That's your freaking, that's where you got to focus your efforts. Yeah. Like I, the density of turkeys is extremely low, but the, the guy that, is willing to work his ass off and get back in there. Yeah, that's your. Yeah. Our population seems to be doing well every year, though. But public land harvest keeps going down, down. Yeah. which just speaks to that overcrowding, pushing birds out. Well, yeah, and, you, and just management in general. I mean, people in Virginia 
burnt, like having your property burned and thinned is like much more popular now. Um, why, are, the, why aren't they? Why aren't they managing the tur- the woods for turkeys and deer and stuff? On they're the- doing some. They're starting to burn more on the WMAs, um, but that's the state, obviously the national forests, which make up the majority of our public land. I mean, we have um, in the millions of acres of national forest, and I think like half a million acres of WMA. Um, so you know, WMA hunting is is much more accessible in the eastern part of the state where I'm at. I got to drive four and a half hours across the state to get up to Shenandoah. Um, but, you know, that's where the more unspoiled opportunity would be. Um, but way fewer birds overall. Man, I can't believe how much I'm rooting for you. Like, I just did gave some, like, how-to content, which goes against everything. <laughs> well, you didn't tell me anything I didn't already know. I just... I wasn't willing to put the fight in this year. I was, I, we were out in the Shenandoah the year before and we called in a bird from like two miles and this guy came on a string. Um, You didn't call him in from two miles away. Oh, I got up on this big ridge over a holler where I could call into and I knew I had about two miles on either side of the holler between private land on one and the road on the other. And I just yelped up there. So it would fill the whole holler and he like, came all the way and I then I went down in the holler uh-huh. once I heard him he went all the way up the ridge that I was on and then followed my path back down into the holler and I just set up on the wrong side of a, of a smaller spine going down to that holler and I was on one side and he went down the other and and that was that mm. never saw him again <laughs> and that was my one day I could hunt I'm a little disappointed that you didn't try last year um, but you, if you keep at it, that's not, you're going to, yeah. Well, I, I decided to try the hunting dog trial thing instead of the spring, which was not for me. So it would be the last time I make that mistake, oh, but your dog, your lab, you, you try to do some competitive stuff with the lab. Yeah. Yeah. I've been training her, um, uh, love Ronnie Bames stuff. Um, and he has that Upland Institute program. So I bought one of those to teach her. I mean, he's a dear, dear, lifelong friend of mine, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. Just, I don't, I don't follow oh. hunting media, so I don't know a lot about this. So he's got a, it's, it's, um, it's kind of like a more common thing now. There's a few of them, but it's essentially, um, an online training library where they kind of create an outline of what it takes to train a bird dog. Um, you know, whether for pointing dogs or retrievers, and they have videos of professional trainers. In his case, Ronnie, I think, filmed this guy named Justin McGrail, um, who's a upland bird uh, trainer. And um, they just like you buy either a membership or you buy like the package, like it was a DVD or something. And you just watch the videos with them explaining how they train all these different things for the dog to do. And then mm-hmm. you do that yourself. I see. Like you got this lab for hunting ducks, right? We got this a family dog mostly, with but I have the with the goal of the hunting ducks with her for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's a snug. You got the dog for the snuggles, but if it yeah. fetches a duck, that'll. But she's a retrieving machine. I mean, she comes from from a hunting uh, line, so she's she's no fat lap dog. Um, so she's. I mean, we'll see. This year, it's, she should be ready to go. She's she'll be two. So. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, um, what, where do you stand? Where do you, like, given where everything, where you come from, where your, where your journey, your journey with hunting, what, where do you come on, where do you come down on, on what my, like, agenda items are, the things that I think are hard stops? Yeah, I have, I take a, I have many, there's some things I definitely agree with you on. There's some things I don't agree with as much. Um, and I'm interested kind of to hear maybe where some of these things separate a little bit in your perspective, but in terms of um, the, like the, the first hot button issue, obviously is like posting pictures of the, what you shoot on, on social media um, for people to look at on their phones um, or computers or whatever. Um I have to say I've never taken a grip and grin um, just because my brother and I just never have Um, are the guy we went with the first time took a picture of us with holding the ducks we shot. Um, I was looking at a picture earlier. I remember feeling just like kind of, I don't know. I'm I'm so not desensitized to it. I feel like this is why I kind of want to talk with you because I feel like, my perspective on hunter hunting is so untouched in some respects because I don't have any influences other than what I've chosen to take in in terms of media. You know, my parents never told me how I should hunt. Nobody ever told me how I should hunt. I just figured it out for myself. Yeah, you're a tabula rasa. You know what that um, is? No. It, uh, a blank slate. Blank slate? Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 So I've, I'm somewhat of a blank slate in that respect. Um, so I've always felt odd about posting that stuff. I never have. Um, I took the one picture with the guide and when I look at it, it's not a very flattering picture. So that doesn't really help. Um, but it just, I don't really feel proud of it maybe cause it was with a guide. Um, or maybe just cause that's not what I'm seeking in the experience of hunting, um, is that success and sharing of success. Um, I don't necessarily hate when other people do it, but I don't necessarily like it either. The only thing I feel like it's ever inspired in me. And uh, I took Instagram off my phone a while ago. I go on it on my computer from time to time. And I ended up unfollowing 90% of the people I followed because when you only go on Instagram once a week, you know, that's a lot of pictures to scroll, scroll through. And if you change your relationship with Instagram in that way, you find that you're interested in way less stuff. Um, at least in my experience. Um, but, you know, I've, but I, it's never really attracted me. The only thing that's ever inspired me is like uh, almost a feeling of like unworthiness. Like I feel like, you know, my lack of success compared to what I was seeing people in having success just made me feel like shitty. I felt like a shitty hunter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't like that. I didn't like the way it, like it, some of it inspired me to hunt more and scout more and whatnot, but some of it just kind of made me feel like, I don't know, you just feel like less than, um, and I didn't like that. So I kind of got rid of that stuff, um, for that reason. Um, I do find the commodification of hunting in some respects 
to be disheartening. Um, I saw recently on a, like a recommended YouTube video came up in my feed and it was um, these guys talking about eating um, like a, a muskrat or something. And the thumbnail of the video had them looking down on the plate and on the plate was a cartoon of a muskrat turned upside down with like X's over its eyes. Yeah. And that while that's not necessarily gross in any means, it doesn't feel like any like kind of like respect for the animals present there. No, it's not sufficiently reverent in my mind, but yeah. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I, whenever I do shoot a duck, I always have this feeling of like, man, this, this duck is like so much tougher than me. Like I'm out here on the Chesapeake Bay. It's blowing 15 miles an hour, whatever, you know, a little bit of some chop, I'm out here like checking the bilge to make sure I'm not taking on water in my like fancy boat with my gear and whatnot. And like this little bluebill is out here solo, like brave in the bay every day. Like that bird is so much harder than me. Like I feel like there that necessitates some kind of like higher respect that, that I like to embody and like how I view hunting. Um, but I view that as a obviously a personal choice. Okay. Is there a question in here somewhere? No, you were asking me. Oh, I thought you were trying to dis- to to explore the oh, no. divide between Yeah. Where you and I part company. The divide. Right. Part. So I view that as one thing, but I do view the commodification of hunting as a problem in that. And especially when you tie it back to what I was saying before about the supply demand issue where they're capitalizing on the demand, but not aiding in the supply. So I guess I view more, my standpoint, I think would be more that, well, I think hunting would be better without some of this, um, the more, what the public might view as grotesque side of things. I think that the battle for public hunting lies more in the protection and acquisition of lands more than it will lie in the decommodification, just because I think decommodifying anything in today's society is nearly impossible. Yeah. So as a practical matter, you think that I'm, potentially focusing on the wrong piece potentially i do think there's still opportunity there and i think there's plenty of ground that could be gained um i think one of the things that i think is missing more than anything is the lack of example for people to follow i think people on social media are so much looking for someone to follow someone to look up to someone to learn from that just doing a podcast and telling people that they shouldn't do that on social media is probably not reaching the people you need to reach and maybe not having as much of an impact. I would almost find it more powerful if you had like your own social media where you were like showed like, this is what, if you're going to hunt and you want to be on social media, like this is what it looks like. And this is like, what is, you know, honors the animal, honors the hunt and respects other hunters. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's that's a pretty good idea. 
that's a pretty good idea. I'd have to think about that when I'm less tired, like if I'd make more, have more potential for, because that's not my only issue. Um, is grip gripping and grinning isn't my only issue, right? But I I can see what you're saying. Uh, but it's a domino. But yeah, so I mean, a few things could happen. It could be that the most likely thing is that my viewpoint is that I don't get any traction no matter what I do because it's a minority viewpoint. Nobody shares my concern. Um, it could be that I have the right viewpoint, but I'm using the, the wrong medium. Uh, it could be that I have the right viewpoint and that others join me and then, then um, it turns into we got a podcast, we got a social media thing. Like the whole thing, I'm laying myself bare here with this. I'm just, I really am. I'm, I'm laying myself, I'm putting myself out there. And the bet I made was that what I'm talking about are the real problems that nobody else wants to talk about lost opportunity, becoming pay to play, uh, the inability to get into it even if you want to, because there's nowhere for you to go. And that's not the kind of stuff that anybody else is talking about. And the, the bet I made was that, that a bunch of other people would be like, yeah, damn straight. That's Those are the problems. Problems are 50 trucks at the trail. That mm-hmm. the, the problems are that all the places I used to hunt are now leased up. And if they bought in, that you know, maybe we could have both. Like we could have the social media piece, we could have a Instagram thing, and be doing generating content there. And so, yeah, maybe I picked the wrong thing. I mean, one thing is, oh God, like I don't know how I would do. I did a little social media campaign that it was called, I did it about a year ago. I quit doing it and I did it only for about a month and a half called DDD. Mm-hmm. Depublicize, deglorify, demonetize was the name of it. Mm-hmm. Did you know about that? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, but like when you say the, the part about, the part about they need an example, mm-hmm. I just don't want to be that, man. I don't want to be that. You're already being it by doing it, putting yourself out here on the podcast. I'm putting what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to be a personality. I'm trying to put out a viewpoint that you you critically accept or reject. Yeah, that's that's very academic for the average person, though. Oh, I hate that because I don't. Want, I'm not looking for notoriety, man. I keep saying, I keep telling people, keep your face out of it, then. Yeah. What do you mean? You just you don't have to post. It doesn't have to be about you. I'm like trying it could, to not. I mean, okay. Oh, with if I did a social media thing, so, yeah. And and that's something that really David has dawned. Like uh, uh, something I've thought about repeatedly is is the podcast the right venue for making these points? So um, you know, in a year from now. It might be that it's not a podcast. It is 
a social media thing? I think the podcast is absolutely necessary because it's such a big idea you're talking about. You need a long form narrative uh, approach to like allowing people to dive into it, having discourse and showing that you're open to other ideas and whatnot. But I think you need more than one prong to that spear. Yeah. That's where I need buy-in. I mean, ideally what would happen in my mind, because I'm not the right person if if I have if these ideas that I have, I see what inspired me to do this was that they're not my ideas. They're a shit pile of people's ideas, but nobody's mm-hmm. saying them. Right. That's what the bet. That's the wager I made. Yeah. That these were the dominant viewpoints, but it's just nobody, nobody that nobody has a. There's no one that has a voice to put them out there. Mm-hmm. So that, like, the the idea would be that it turns out it tur- that there's lots and lots and lots of people that think the same thing, and that then, hell, I'm open to it, giving it giving it to someone else, having somebody else do it. I'll just edit the podcast, and somebody else can make the freaking Instagram and the Facebook, and like, I don't need to be a part of this. I just because I mean, it's not about me. It really, really, really isn't about me. Yeah. Yeah. Every cause needs like some kind of voice though. I mean, somebody's got to at least give it legs. Yeah. But like, I look at someone like you that's so articulate and doesn't have the baggage and it's young and got lots of energy, but maybe you should be the one well, you know, if you ever need help with any of this stuff, I mean, I'm, oh, don't a, I'm, say that I'm always. Me. Don't say that to me. Because, I'm, because if, if you're saying it, you can't be like the people that flaked on me. Like, nah. if, you, if you're like, if you're serious, then tomorrow you'd get an email with a chore. <laughs> I would so, be open to exploring some. Yeah, there's I, a better I, I think we have, uh, there are definitely some differences in in how we view things, I think. But I think part of that probably happens because you you are existing in somewhat of a vacuum right now. And I feel like, I don't know, I'm all about collaboration. And I do, I would like to see another face of hunting out there that was more in line with how I view hunting in terms of chasing experience more than chasing a trophy um and you know uh no that's a, not me that's not me i want the trophy yeah i want to shoot a great big one so sure i, I mean i want to shoot a pile of mallards too you know but but i i keep going out there because the experience fulfills me so much now i'm pretty sure if you could only shoot if you were your success rate was one big bull every three years. You'd probably still go out in those hell in between yeah. years. Oh hell yeah! I'm hoping for one big bull in my whole life. <laughs> I called in a big bull for a dude last year and he shot it at ten feet. Dang! Like a giant. Yeah. Like a giant. Um. Yeah. So no, I don't need instant gratification from hunting. I'm a dude that goes out there some years for months like 30 days yeah 35 40 days yeah and i think there's plenty of people who share anything and don't and i don't shoot anything yeah like i end up always priority number one for me is i like 
to feed myself on, on game meat. Mm-hmm. That's priority number one. Mm-hmm. Um, then priority to number two is trying to get a decent one or whatever, beer and animal. So, and priority number one is way more important than priority number. I mean, the, the ranking, the disparity between one and two is a gulf. Right. Um, so yeah, okay. You keep saying it. Where is where's the where's the daylight? The the daylight between us. Oh, well, I think I mean I think it comes down you want to attack the demand side of things. And I think by getting people to stop demanding hunting products, hunting media, hunting TV, so that it, it loses legs and it doesn't this marketing engine falters and it doesn't bring people to hunting, right? That's, <laughs> That's from a such a great way of putting it. Yeah. Okay. I'm yeah. I view things I think more on the supply side. I view that demand and I see opportunity. I see opportunity to extract dollars and resources from that system and put it into conserving wild places for, for the public to use. <laughs> yeah, so that is a very, I'd say that that's a very mainstream view. That is the mainstream view. Yeah, I don't think so, though, because people don't really care like where these places are spending money. Like I'm not a member of anything. I, I did I did Ducks Unlimited last year, and I think I'll keep doing Ducks Unlimited because I did review their financials, and I'm relatively happy with what it seems like they spend their money on. But like, what nonprofit is going out there and buying land and creating like easements on land the way that like the Nature Conservancy is? Because I don't I I don't know of any. Elk Foundation has done pretty good with that. Ducks Unlimited has done quite a bit of work with that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I haven't. I'm more. I'm more interested in talking about the shit that they should be doing and don't, or that they are doing and shouldn't, because somebody's yeah. got to do that. And nobody is. But, yeah. Uh, um. I like to think that I have thought about the demand versus supply thing like the argument i mean what i'd say what you're saying is let's not like every like most people let's not worry about let's fix let's 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 work on uh, creating more opportunity for people not not decreasing demand I still think we need to have like an ethical reckoning and hunting or maybe an ethical moral as to like what we think really is um, like should be shared and what's, what's, uh, what's too, what's dishonest and what's uh, reprehensible, um, which I think is happening. You know, the pictures of people naked with their deer or whatever like that. I think well, we need to just was shot a sheep and had a bloody dildo. In the <sighs> picture, did you hear about I never, that? No, I didn't hear about that one. You should type it in; it comes right up. But she's like, she's a hunting personality. She's sponsored and like 
she didn't even lose her sponsors. You know, I got to look into it more, but it yeah. definitely happened. I think, I think that, hunters, that, those are totally different issues that were there. We're talking, I like this. I like this issue that you brought up the supplier demand one. Yeah. Isn't that, like well, a, I think it is distinct from these other things, but go ahead. I think there's some crossover because I think as you weed that stuff out, demand for hunting media will would slow down. If you if, if you were to if everyone were to like and everyone in hunting TV were to remove the gore, I think hunting TV production and uh, viewership would decline incredibly. Oh my god, there would be no Sportsman's Channel. There would be no. I don't think there'd be any. I don't think there'd be anything left. If you yeah. got rid of the kill shot, I don't think there'd be anything left. Yeah. And I don't think necessarily getting rid of the kill shot is the end all be all answer, but I think people should be more purposeful about what they watch and like what the intentions of that hunter or that personality seem to be. Well, I can tell you that right now is to make money. Yeah. But I think there's a big difference between the people who shoot, uh, birds or deer on high fence for TV versus people who actually film on public land. Um, I think there's, you know, I think there's some value that, to be had in showing like the, the trials and tribulations of a public land hunter and the the story of the places and the people there. Um, so I always, I draw this comparison with my wife where I view hunting TV similar to uh, food TV where 90% of it is crap. And then you have the odd person like an Anthony Bourdain comes in and they really manage to cut through just like talking about how good the food tastes and actually talking about the experience and the people and the culture that brought that food there. Um, I think the hunting TV industry needs like more Anthony Bourdain's and fewer like chopped shows essentially. What's the, uh, what show? chopped it's like a competitive cooking show it's stupid they have like 15 minutes to cook something with ingredients they've never seen before and then the judges berate them or whatever can you guess how i'm going to respond to what you just said no okay let me do my best sleep deprived and now a couple whiskeys in um you have a bunch of you have a, you have a hunting community comprised of people from various walks of life life they're all passionate about they, what they do mm-hmm. and they're all passionate about their hunting they're all equally passionate but some of them decide to turn it into entertainment. And a form of entertainment. They're no more passionate about it, it than the people, the other people that don't decide to do that. Arguably, they're less passionate about it than the people that just have a day job and spend their every waking moment thinking about hunting and waiting for their next opportunity to do it. What I see 
is that the people that make entertainment out of it are are devastating, have devastated, and will continue to devastate the experience of the people that decide that, that didn't decide to turn it into a source of entertainment. Mm-hmm. That is that's just where it come down on it. And yeah, I, I just don't. I don't see any way around it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think you're a hundred percent wrong. I like I don't disagree with you. I I guess I'm more I hold out hope for uh like a middle ground. I think like we in a perfect world we could maybe find it. If if money weren't such a motivating factor. Yeah. If, yeah, and and I don't God David, I don't know what the answers are. I I took I'm this is I'm taking a stab at what I think the the answers are, but mm-hmm. I just, yeah, I don't think you're, I do think that the, the hunting industry, whether it be entertainment or textiles or firearms or whatever, nearly enough to provide access. Matter of fact, if you watch, if you watch, sort like gobble it up from themselves, you know? Oh, I made a bunch of money with my freaking mapping software, and I only buy the branches. Mm-hmm. You know? So, I I, I so to me, it's like with the supply demand thing. I'm like, okay, let's 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 uh let's let 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 let's see how many people out there, how many people out there are really in it for the hunting. You know how how many people are really in it for the hunting? Yeah, for the well, I, publicly accessible hunting. Yeah, and how many of them are, are not the hunting culture, not the entertainment, the publicly accessible hunting? How many of them are there? And do they care about it so much? Yeah, that that, that they're just gonna they're gonna seek out they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna get their gear um, from companies that operate under the radar. You know, they're gonna they're gonna do their part for conservation and access. Um, they love it so much that they don't need to be edified by people on the computer. And let's see what that looks like. That's what. Yeah, that's my north star right now, for but, sure. But uh, maybe that's the wrong direction. Maybe it should we should we should be hyping it up through the shit through the freaking roof, trying to get everybody under the sun to you know get into it and then show everybody else what a like do some like n- nature guy back freaking nature dude signaling thing and everybody gets to have their 30,000 viewers and see how what a badass and a great cook I am and somehow that opens up a bunch more habits, much more access and saves the whole thing. I don't know. Sure. But what I've seen over the course of my life, it's an honor. What I've seen is I've seen an increase in height and a decrease in publicly accessible. Yeah. That's what I've seen. Mm Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. No, I think it's totally fair. And I definitely think, I mean, you've definitely 
um, you know, inspired at least one person here and me to, you know, I always say that I think the person's strongest vote is with their dollar. What you spend your dollar yeah, yeah. on shapes yeah. society more than anything else. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm definitely, you know, I'm out there looking for odds and ends that I might need this fall, like a new decoy bag and whatever. And I'm definitely looking to buy from, from those like right people yeah. um, who I think are either making a greater contribution to the greater good of hunting um, or are flying under the radar and at least not um, contributing to its degradation. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm getting pretty tired and we should wrap this up, but would you mind sticking on for a couple minutes and we could talk about that just a little bit? Sure. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, let me, uh, for the sake of our listeners, thank you so much for, what I what I think is a wonderful conversation. If this isn't if this isn't the kind of conversation that this is the kind of conversation that, like if people aren't interested in hearing a conversation like this one, then I really just don't have much to give, David. Like I really don't have because in my mind this was about the best that I ever could hope for in terms of having like a heartfelt discussion about hunting in America. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it.